All right, so the podcast coming up was an interview done with my buddy Charlie. You'll find that I'm really not in this podcast much because when Charlie was being interviewed by Mitch, it's just like he was. they were just talking to each other. They were having such a wonderful conversation. I didn't even want to interrupt because Mitch really likes mechanical stuff. Charlie loves cars and bikes and all that stuff. And I don't know, it just seemed like Charlie's story resonated with Mitch, so I just kind of stepped away, and I'm just the editor on this. But I, I hope you enjoy Charlie's story. It's really interesting. Just stay till the end. Yeah, thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to Coffee Milk. I'm Mark Laborde. And I'm Mitch Allo. Today, we have our first guest, Charles Orange from Scalded Dog Engineering, a buddy of mine. What's up, Charles? Hey, how's it going, guys? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. I enjoy listening to your podcast. I've listened since the first episode. Obviously, Mark told me you guys are doing it. It's like... I really enjoy it. It's a good podcast. I like listening to your guys' long-form conversations and the ideas that you have on just different entrepreneurship things and just other current events and like current technologies that are coming out. Yeah, thank you. We're really, uh, we're really glad that you appreciate it because this is this was our goal. We're now uh, at one of our milestones. We've got our first guest on, and you've listened to all the episodes and yeah. enjoyed all of them. So, and you know what you're getting into. Yeah, happy yeah. to be on. And Charles and I have been. Uh, have friends for almost a year, six months. Probably like six months. I think I came out here in like November. Yeah, you came out to the shop. Now. Yeah. Uh, I work at a metal fabrication shop. We build cars from scratch. So I guess go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself. I've done a couple of like apprenticeships and um, like I'm a mentor, mentee to a couple of guys in like machining, welding, mechanics. I uh, work at the motorcycle shop, you know, interning at the motorcycle shop. And then uh, and at the motorcycle shop, like I said, it's checkered pass cycles. And I was working under Ted and Chaz or Charlie Tackett, you know, and they're like family to me. I've known them since I was 15, 16 years old. And so, and I, I was into cars and things like that. And me and Ted met through a common Facebook group that was called uh, Kazu Rice that was founded in 2004. And that's when I joined it was in 04. Uh, my buddy had a Subaru WRX anyway, so they put the, they put a sticker on. That's how we found this out, right? So anyways, we get on the forum, end up going to car meets, meet Ted, create a friendship, you know, and like kind of get like adopted into the family in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I go finish high school. I join the military. I join the Marine Corps. Uh, I do that for a little bit. And then when I get out, kind of lost, don't really know what I'm doing. And I had to do an internship already for school. And I was like, I don't want to go do an internship somewhere, like a business internship for my business degree, wearing like a suit or tie or like doing paperwork and things like that. And so for the internship, if you knew someone that owned a business, you could apply for them to try to get accredited, I guess, by the pro by the class. That way you could do your internship there. Yeah. And so I hit up Ted and I was like, hey, Ted, would I be able to do an in internship at your shop for credit? You know, like, and I had, you know, I knew they had a shop. We've always been working on cars and bikes and stuff like before that. And I would talk to Ted often about motorcycles and hang out with him and stuff, work out in cars and stuff and motorcycles at his house. Uh, you know, like when I was like 16, 17, I'd go yeah. to his house and we'd work on, yeah. work on his car and stuff. They got accepted to be able to allow me to do my internship there. I didn't really do a whole lot of business stuff or paperwork stuff, but I worked on an awful lot of bikes. You know, and like just rebuilding carburetors, rebuilding engines, changing tires, you know, fixing uh, brakes, like, you know, either like fixing the calipers and like the master cylinder thing like that, re doing full rebuilds on them, learning how to measure things to see if they're in spec, out of spec, everything like that, how calipers work. And then through the motorcycle shop, another gentleman started coming there 
named Matt. We clicked instantly, me and this gentleman named Matt, and he is a master tool and die maker machinist. And so he had an older mill and lathe at his house that were his father's and his when he was a young kid, because his father was also a machinist. So he grew up with a machine shop essentially in his basement that was like his dad's hobby shop. Oh my God. So he's been running a mill and lathe basically as long as he could walk. And the guy is just like a genius as far as like figuring out how to design and make things on a mill or lathe and the capabilities that they have and how to push it to like the absolute end of its capabilities. You know what I mean? When he works... Uh, you know, he worked as a uh, tool and die maker and a machinist for years and years, and he still does. So he uh, took me under his wing and started teaching me on the lathe and stuff because he brought it into the shop so Checkered Pass Cycles could use it because they didn't have one there, and he helped them purchase a mill. And with that, he would, anytime they were working on um, a mill or a lathe project, I'd ask him to, like, hey, reach out and tell me. I would love to be there to watch you do this and like learn how to do this and help on this project. I would only do like two days a week, I think at the motorcycle shop at first for my internship, you know, like yeah. a couple, like four hour periods or something like that. And it's something I always wanted to do, but I had school and I had a job too, you know, so I was going to school full time. I was working three quarter time, not half time, not full time. And then I was at the other shop a quarter of the time, we'll say. So my schedule was always packed, no social life, everything like that. And then after my internship, like officially ended for school, it never stopped. I just kept showing up every day for two days a week, you know, like doing an internship. And after like nine months, I think, like an additional, like, let's say six months after the school internship started, they're like, I guess we got to start paying you. You know, you're getting pretty good and you're on your own, you know, with all this stuff. And I already had a, a pretty good skill set when I first showed up off of cars and just mechanical under, understanding. But here I learned motorcycles, specifically vintage, Japanese, European and British motorcycles. You know, it just kind of took off from there. Next thing you know, five years later, a bunch of trophies later on bikes that we've all built together, a bunch of happy customers, a bunch of awesome projects. But anyways, through that, I met Matt. And then Matt took me under his wing machining. And he taught me how to use the mill and the lathe. And we would do a bunch of like um, projects together. And a lot of them were like uh, just like little projects for me to work on that maybe something he wanted to do on the side, make a little part for this or that, you know, and he would tell me what size I need to make it to. And then he'd be up at the front of the shop hanging out with Charlie and they would just be talking and I would be in the back for hours, just machining this part and then take it up to him. And he would, he would give me like a grade on it <laughs> and he would be like, yeah, this all checks out, but I think it's like a C minus. <laughs> and I would be like, all right. So I'd go back and chalk it up back in the lathe and, and, and do whatever I needed to do to get that grade up, you know, and get it. And like with that started to teach me, attention to detail more so than I already had because I learned a lot of attention to detail while I was in the Marine Corps all of our uniforms have to be very specific when when you're going to wear your dress blues you take a couple of days in advance preparing them shaving them so there's no like little fuzzies or strings hanging off of them polishing all the buttons polishing your belt buckle polishing your shoe polishing the brim of the hat all the eagle globe and anchors have to be polished and then your ribbons and or medals have to be in a specific location that needs to be measured out to like the 16th of an inch. Like it's very precision, very precise. That way when you see any Marine that's walking around and say a dress uniform, they all, you know, they all look the same almost. Their ribbons and stuff will be different. Their rank will be different, but everything is just perfectly placed, square, looks good. I mean, just straight edge. And we take great pride in our appearance. And to be able to discipline that into you, you they make everything that stringent. All your uniforms, your your drawers and your locker and stuff like that. How you store your items, how you fold them. To Every yeah, exactly. Where you Everything. Put them. Yep. My dad uh, told me that when he was in the military, that he he 
just gave me like a broad understanding of how it works. It's like you get in there and everyone's and everyone's on a different level. And then by the time, what is it, basic training's over, yeah. they've broken everyone down to the same level. And then they just build you right back up and they teach everyone the fundamentals of, yeah. of what to do. And you just come out a completely different person. It's honestly incredible. And then at that point, it's like, say for me, you're a baseline Marine. You know, essentially all the entry level stuff to being a Marine. And then, but that's not where your training or knowledge or anything ends. It continues to progress your whole entire time that you spend in the military. There's always classes that you're going to go to, things like that. And see, uh, I was an infantryman. I was a 0331 infantry machine gunner with 1st Battalion, 4th Marines, Bravo Company, 3rd Platoon uh, for 80, 90% of my time in the Marine Corps, we'll say. I did two deployments with them to Iraq. And uh, we were raised up, I would say, by guys that were like super admirable. You know, our leadership was awesome for the most part. I mean, obviously there's always exceptions, but these guys were just guys that you would want to look up to. And they were all squared away, neatly dressed, and demanded a high attention to detail in everything that you did because it matters so much. So now this attention to detail has just been ingrained into me. The discipline's ingrained into me. And I know if you're going to do something now, if you're going to work on something, you're going to put anything together, I need to put in 100% effort. It needs to be the best. Every single time I do it, it needs to be the best possible thing I can do, whether it's an idea, a project, something I'm working on. I'm always trying to make it slightly better than the thing I worked on yesterday. Try to improve. I'm trying to improve. And and that's why I'm, I like sought out knowledge with guys like Matt, the Tackets, at Checkered Pass Cycles. And then my buddy Pops, which I didn't mention, he just turned 80 years old. I've known Pops since 2011. He was a master welder that worked at a striker in Kalamazoo, welding and fabricating medical supplies since the 60s until the thousands. And when he left there, he was running like the welding department and, and everything. I mean, the guy is like, he, he's a welding guru in a sense. And uh, he lived maybe 10 minutes away from my parents. And so through random circumstances, I ended up getting in touch with him and uh and just you know i would always wanted to be a metal worker metal fabricator you know i've always been interested in metal shaping and he was like the first guy i met that was like a welder fabricator you know and he had he had been retired for a while and his shop his own personal shop at his house had pretty much everything you needed to get into basic metal fabrication so he taught me how to weld you know how to use metal band saws how to you know a lot of like just how to like a lot of inside tricks and tips to help me better understand and like grow my skill set of how to weld something and how to jig it up how to brace it how to cut it how to clean it you know to make sure that you get the best product you can and he always puts in all that attention to detail all that prior thought processing and planning and not really a whole lot of wing in it I mean, the thing is, when you have that kind of experience, you can wing it. You can. Because you already, you've been through all of it, and you know what to expect. You know thing, how things are going to react. You just had that experience. Yeah. With those guys, you know, uh, I worked with under four, you know, mentored by for a decade now, almost, you know, right around a decade, a lot of them or more. Plus, on my own, just at my own little shop here or there, just playing around, building things. And then if I come up on a question or something or want any advice, I know I can call them or I got a couple other buddies that are really big into mechanics and, you know, they build their own race cars and things like this, you know, that are a little bit more knowledgeable than myself. So 
I've always kind of found myself uh, surrounding myself by guys that are like older, knowledgeable. That's who I want to spend my time with. I heard somebody say one time, uh, they've only got X amount of time to build X amount of projects. And so those projects, you know, they're not going to build themselves. And when I was younger, my grandpa would always tell me, hey, if you work on something every day, 10, 20 minutes, an hour a day, it's going to get done. It'll get done and it won't be as bad as if you wait till the last minute and then you have to cram and you're behind or you miss the deadline or something like that, you know? Yeah. And generally, when I find myself jumping into something to work on it, maybe like, oh, I got an extra half hour. I'll work on this. Two hours will go by, yeah. you know, and it's like, and, and I love when that happens. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. Did you apply for the apprenticeship program, the the like giveaway we were doing? Yeah. Or, and that's how we, we met or that's yeah, how yeah, you yeah. got on. Right. I said kind of. All right. Well, yeah. yeah, that's how I got on. But so I remember... Yeah, I remember I had everything booked to go down to Barber's. I had a camping spot with my friend, you know, already had purchased tickets, hotel stay the night before, you know, and everything like that. So I was invested into it, like, you know, I don't know, a few hundred dollars at least for the camping spots and everything, you know. And I go to, I try to go to it every year. I've been to it years and years and years. And it wasn't open, you know, obviously during the pandemic and stuff like that. And I think the second year after that, there was like a terrible storm or something. So I didn't end up going for some reason after the post-pandemic. But then 2022, I... Or yeah, so 2022, you know, I, di I didn't want to miss it because I'd already missed it for two years. And uh, I'd probably gone previously to the five years before that or four years before that. So I just really enjoy going out there. It's a lot of fun. There's a giant swap meet, shows, racing. You know, it's like if you're into motorcycles, that's the place to be. And then they also have a small boar festival, which is like, I think all motorcycles under 200 cc's. And so me and my buddy drove out, rode out there last year, obviously on like our way bigger bikes, because uh, I was riding around the country actually at the time on a 2004 KTM 625 Supermoto. And I'd, I'd ridden it. Yeah. I had ridden it from Michigan all the way down to Tennessee, Kentucky, Campton, Kentucky, oh. went to Tennessee, Campton, Tennessee. And then one of my buddies threw motorcycles, which were kind of like an online motorcycle gang or club or something we just meet up once or twice around the year and uh the rest of the time we just share pictures you know and just talk to each other and stuff like that about like current projects or what's going on or just you know daydream or window shop or whatever guys do in group chats you know what i mean and uh they're all a bunch of good builders and mechanics and stuff you know so it's uh just a really good group to be a part of and i've always felt like i don't know i just look up to a lot of those guys and they're you know the stuff that they're doing and it's just inspiring you know to have other friends that are doing the same things and then you know, you can bounce ideas off of each other. And, and like, you know, like uh, my buddy Levi just had his motorcycle uh, in the Garage Brood uh, motorcycle show in Cincinnati, which is an invite-only motorcycle show. And uh, so me and a couple other guys, we all got an Airbnb, like a block or like, I don't know, maybe four or five blocks away from where it's at at the, I think it's called the, the Ryan Heist Brewery on the river right there that separates Cincinnati from Kentucky. Uh, but yeah, we walk over there, go to the show, stay there with our buddy, you know, like just show him support and stuff like that. And, uh, I had, uh, I'd gone there years prior to the first year that it was open. I, I went with checkered pass cycles and we brought a bike that we built at the shop, you know, um, it was like right when I first like started or I had gotten there, you know, they had pretty much already built that bike. So I didn't really have a whole lot of, it, um, hands on anything with that bike other than a couple of smaller things. And what they did is they took a Honda ATC 250 R three wheeler and converted it into a, basically a, a stunt 
or not stunt, a street hooligan kind of bike, like a cafe racer almost with a modern edge to it. That's so funny you mentioned cafe racers because when you were just talking about the motorcycle groups, yeah. I saw cafe racers one day scrolling through. I think it was YouTube or something. Oh, yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah. They have a group. They just go from cafe to cafe and just yeah. go off. That's how it started. Yeah, back in like uh, the after post-World War II, I believe, in, in like England, they would race their motorcycles from like cafe to cafe to cafe to cafe. Wow. You know, and like you could pretty much take any route to get there. That's awesome. You know, and, so, and that's how it all started. And so they would strip all their bikes down to the bare essentials, make them as light as possible and try to make them handle better, brake better, you know, and run faster. There was a saying called do the ton. And if you could do the ton, you could do over 100 miles per hour on your motorcycle because not a lot of them were capable of that back then, you know. <laughs> and uh, so one of the forums, so the forum I got onto was called do the ton.com, I believe. And it was a forum. And that's where I met a lot of these guys. Kind of similar to how they have the cannonball in racing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. The, the You're not doing it. The cafe racing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never cafe raced or anything like that. But yeah. the, so that that race generated like a subculture of motorcycles and a style of motorcycle which you call the cafe racer which is like that basic sleek cut down small tank with a little single seat pan on it usually like tucked in or shaved like turn signals and lights and things like that it's just like a you know and it's just a very popular subculture of like motorcycles you know or like a it was, I don't know if it would be like a subculture. Would be a, yeah, I guess it would be a subculture inside motorcycles, yeah. the culture of motorcycles itself. That's you know, and then you have like your choppers and bobbers and like your stunt bikes and the street bikes yeah. and then drag bikes with like extended swing arms and things like that. And there's just, you know, all kinds of different ways that you can go with motorcycling. And I think that's one of the big reasons that people love motorcycles so much. Uh, they're easier. They're not necessarily easier to work on, but it's easier to have a couple project motorcycles than it is yeah. car projects for people because they take up such a lot smaller footprint of wherever you're at. They're a lot of fun. It's exciting, you know, and like when you meet somebody else that rides motorcycles, it's kind of like, you know, yeah. a common ground that you can like start from you know what i mean and i don't know like i like to ride a lot by myself i just enjoy being out on the road yeah but so i'd ride around i was riding around the country and just like we meet up and go places with my buddies hang out we we usually meet up once a year and we do what we call like the spring thaw after winter we'll all meet up somewhere and go ride motorcycles in like kentucky or north carolina or tennessee or you know something like that you know we meet up at shows if somebody's got a bike in a show and then we usually all meet up at barbers again and some of the guys we meet up at like are they they meet up at mid ohio and i'm going to try to go this year to mid o all right, so you had that you had the Barber Vintage Festival last year, but you came to the shop instead. Yeah, so how did that? I couldn't sleep one night, and so I got on my computer at like eleven thirty at night, and Ray had made a post on Facebook at probably eleven p.m. saying that he was going to that somebody else had paid for a cl- couple of classes, and they wanted someone to he wanted to, someone to come to be a student to work on his parts for the class because he had a conflicting schedule and he couldn't make it himself. And so Ray had advertised that post looking for a local guy that could come in for the four day weekend class, take the class in place of this person and work on this person's parts, which are model a parts. I believe I saw it and I scrolled past it. Cause I thought, Oh yeah, that'd be really cool. But I've already got everything planned for barbers and all this stuff. Well, I've been wanting to go to Ray's class since like 2014, 2015 or something like that. They used to be a lot differently scheduled and a lot more expensive. And they were like 600 hour, like internships and things like that. Cause I found Ray on YouTube looking up English wheel stuff. Cause I've just been from Michigan. Yeah. From Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. You did not know Ray or Mark or anyone before you started the metal class. No. Well, I knew him through YouTube. I knew Mark's voice from talking to Ray and I knew Ray from YouTube videos and like that. 
from forums and things like that because Ray's always Ray's been like Ray was like one of the first guys on the internet. Oh, trying really? to yeah, trying to bring people, trying to bring metal work to the internet. What we're doing with English wheel work, coach building work, there's not very many people doing it, and we're dispersed all over the country. And basically, he made like one of the first central organizing spots for all these guys oh, to come wow. together and share ideas, techniques, tools, so on and so I, I forth. I didn't realize he did that much. Yeah, he's like a legend in the That's English awesome. wheel world. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, it's not crazy. I mean, the guy's put in 60 years of work almost, I think, now on the English wheel. So it's yeah. like, and not just English wheel work, but a hammer, dolly, just coach building, fabrication, car restorations. He's the one person that I've probably met in my life that can do and solve any problem and do anything and fix anything. It's just, it's, it's I mean, would you agree with that, Mark? The guy is just a genius. I've never seen anything like it. It drives me insane. Yeah. <laughs> anything. You just ask him like, well, what should I do here? Oh, do, 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 do this, do that, do the other thing. And then <laughs> as long as you like do exactly what he says, it comes out perfect. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. The guy's crazy. It's like, he's awesome. That's the hard part for people though. If he literally says, okay, well, this panel is low or something. Yeah. What do I do? Oh, you wheel right here. No, they're wheeling over on the edge. It's like, well, it's messed up. Well, yeah, because you wheeled over there. I told you to wheel. Well, I'm it was low there. It's like, no, just do what Ray tells you. He is very literal. That's it. When he says, this is what he wants, this is it. Yeah, and I'm I'm guilty, too, of, like, Ray telling me to do exactly something, thinking I might know a little, not that I know a little better, but just do it a little differently than what yeah. he says. Yeah. And then you go back to him, and he goes, who told you to do that? <laughs> you know, and it's like... Uh, I don't know. It's like telling your parent, you, you know, you did something wrong. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The last... That's how I kind of got into the whole like engineering thing and everything yeah. because I would always see my dad doing certain things and then I would go and do something of my own and he'd be like, no, it's not working because it's this way. And I'd be like, what? And then he would do, he would just figure out a way to, to solve whatever I was working on. Yeah. Any little project I was working on from modifying a Nerf gun to making an electric skateboard. It's inspiring. He would solve everything. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was incredible. It's inspiring. And like, you know, so yeah, I knew about Pro Shaper, uh, I don't know, at least 10 years ago, probably, or more. I remember, you know, growing up, I had seen like Ron Cavell on TV, uh, you know, like Chip Foose and like uh, overhauling, you know, and they wouldn't always do a lot of English wheel work per se on like overhauling and stuff. They would just build custom cars, you know, yeah. and things like that. And then uh, I was watching um, Boyd Coddington and those guys were doing actual like hot rod building, coach building, panel fabrication, stuff like that. And then the Jesse James documentary came out on Discovery Channel like in the early 2000s. And I saw that and I'm like 14, 15, 16 years old at that time. And I would watch it every single time and everything that came on Discovery Channel because at that time is when like there was like kind of like a bigger boom in like the mechanical scene, car building industries and like uh, I was always just super fascinated with it. Always going to the local car shows, motorcycle shows, and things like that. Was. Yeah, me and my dad would always take me to the car shows, yeah. you know, and like always, you know, and he was a motorcycle guy too and a mechanic and stuff, you know, like, and like I'd always hear stories about him and his brothers growing up having like drag cars and stuff like that and they'd be building all yeah. this stuff and there's pictures that you can see like. It's kind of difficult to hear the stories today because I have had so many moments where like I want to like work on my car or something and then you go online and either you can't find the parts you're looking for or what you're trying to do is so expensive that you just get so discouraged and you don't even want to do it. Yeah. That's it's, it's like back then when when cars were kind of booming and all of the car industries were like racing racing each other yeah, to right. kind of make a faster car, better car. Like parts were so readily available at every store near you, 
and if you it wasn't expensive you could really just like buy whatever you need yeah. not worry about like being in the whole five hundred dollars for like one part oh yeah time. yeah so and and like back then it was like it was just everything was cheaper and kind of like easier to do right because everything was just like moving fast and everything was available for that for that specific industry oh yeah i think that uh there may be more parts available today than there ever has been, but the quality may not always be exactly. there. And a lot of them, and like they are, it is kind of cost prohibitive to some people, especially with like the cost, the rise in the cost of living and everything that you yeah. are dealing with right now. Like it is more of an expensive hobby. And I didn't really, you know, I don't come from family with money or anything like that. So for me, it's always been, I need to learn how to do this for myself because I yeah. really want this stuff. Yes. So there's no way I could afford to pay somebody like me to build these things. You know, I mean, I, I probably could if I if I would have dedicated my life in a different direction, I guess. But I don't know. I've always just been drawn to doing it myself, and that's where it initially originated from. Yeah, that's where mine originated from too. I would always just, um, like find certain products online because I was always on YouTube. Yeah, and I would see these really like uh, cool like new tech th things in technology or like and just products getting better in general. And then I would realize that I couldn't get this, and then I'd go to Reddit yeah. for a form. And there would be eight, eight different threads about how people have built their own version. Right. And then I realized that when you, when you could make things on your own, you not only get the satisfaction of it, but it's like you're learning something and you're, and you're doing things for yourself. Like you're not just buying like a product right. to use it. Exactly. It's like a different, it's a different feeling. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's unique and it's a way to express yourself yeah. too mechanically, you know, like who you are I mean, because a lot of people's stuff kind of almost represents like you know you can learn a lot about somebody about how they build their bike how they build their car or something like that because it's usually a part of your like personality in a sense and i hate to yeah. say that somebody's personality is just their car or something but they usually kind of reflect each other yeah so i was uh i saw ray's post on facebook and i scrolled on past it barber's motorcycle festival is the same weekend and it's something that i've always i always do always want to do yeah. And so I didn't want to miss it. All my friends were going to be there. So I scrolled past the post and maybe like 30 seconds or a minute later, I was like, what are you doing? This never happens. You never see a free class potentially on Facebook from Ray, you know, and I like, guess not that the classes are too expensive, but when, you know, they are to a certain extent, if you don't have anything, yeah. it's not necessarily the class, but the class materials, hotel, travel, food, you know, and all, and, and all that, it adds up. Yeah, it does. And so, I don't know, I couldn't, I, it just like, I was like, it just it felt like, like fate. Nothing had ever felt like fate, I think, any more yeah. than that thing in my life. And I was like kind of shaking. And so it said on the, it said on the post, you can either call, email, or message him. And so I wrote him an email. I called Ray at 9.01 in the morning. The shop opened at nine and I explained who I was and that I had a sent him an email and a message about the class that he was giving away yeah. to build those Model A parts. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm kind of trying to find a local guy. This, and you know, because it'd be a lot easier and all that. And it's such last minute. It was like super last minute too. I think it was maybe like a week, a couple of weeks or two yeah, weeks or something. And it was super last minute. And uh, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, but, and then Ray was like, well, how would you get here? I'm like, listen, Ray, I will start walking today to get there by, if I have to, to have that class or to, to, get there you know what i mean like nothing would stop me from getting there i know it's in like i think it was even less than a week actually 
Yeah. It was like right. It was if it was Monday, I think the class was on Friday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then that's, I think that is what it was. So I called. Yeah, he posted. I think on Monday or something like that. On Tuesday, I was. I called him that Tuesday morning, and just you know, threw. I wanted to put my name in the hat. You know what I mean? And I and I didn't want to waste any time. That evening. I had also messaged all my mentors, Pops, the Tackets, and my buddy Matt, and I asked him, hey, could you either call, email, message this guy, and just tell him what you think about me solely based on, like, your experience with me and, like, teaching me, you know, and, like, just being around there. And so they all did. And then I called Ray, and Ray was, like, told me he was looking, you know, that he would consider it, but he was looking for a local guy. Um, he called me back that evening, 5, 6 o'clock or something like that, and he's like, hey, you know, Look, you didn't get the class that I was giving away. I chose another guy that's local. He's going to do the class and all those things. And I was like, oh, all right, you know. And he's like, no, 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 but wait. He's like, you know, explained a situation where basically he had a gentleman take his class who passed away. And the son inherited the car that was going to be the project, the reason that he took the class, which is a 50s Cadillac. And um, so the son wanted Ray to have it. Ray tried to pay the guy for the car, but the guy didn't want anything for it. So Ray said he would give him a class in exchange for the car. But the gentleman wasn't interested in taking the class. So for maybe a couple of years, the guy told him, take this class and give it to somebody deserving in the future. When you see some guy that's, or some person that can take this class, or that's, you know, worthy in your mind to take, to have this out this slot, you know? Yeah. Because uh, they're not a very big Don't. class. There'll be like eight, 10 guys there, you know, and, and the class varies anywhere now from, four days, two days, four days, up to a week or two, yeah. depending. And so Ray, when Ray called me up and told me that, he's like, I would, I want to give this class to you. He's like, I've never been as impressed by somebody who's reached out to me and had other people reach out to me uh, reach on your behalf. And so he was like, can you be here Friday? And I was like, yeah, I'll be there Friday. I'm like, I will be there. I'll be there Thursday. You know? I remember those emails because I always, I get all of Ray's emails. For some reason, this phone doesn't sync up right. But uh, yeah, I'm like, Ray, this guy, Charles, uh, there's been five emails, I think, from all different people saying that this guy should get it. I've never seen anything like this. I, I think <laughs> he should, he, oh, I already talked to him. Yeah, he called me the next morning. He's like, I don't know why I'm getting all these emails. He's already got it. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, I just, it's awesome. It, I've looked up to Ray so long. I've wanted to go to this class for easily it's got to be 10 years before i got the opportunity i was i remember laying in bed at night staring at my ceiling just thinking how could i get here how what what how much do i have to save trying to budget it out in my head and then say i would get close to a goal maybe something would happen or ray would change the classes he changed the classes a few times because and then the price structure of them and so that would and i would i would always be looking on his website looking at his english wheel kits uh, watching the videos on YouTube, looking at all the tools that he sold, you know, and, and like a lot of other guys too. But like, I really like Ray's aspect of it, of the English wheel work, opposed to like a Polmax or a power hammer and other methods that guys use. You know, I just, I love the old Ferraris, the Italian uh, design process and the way that they would build their cars. And so I know that Ray teaches it in that same way. You know, he called me back and he's like, yeah, he's like, you didn't get the spot, but I've got another spot that I want to give you. He's like, I don't do this. You know, he's like, but you're, you're the guy essentially. He said it in his own words, obviously it was just, uh, it was awesome. Like, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but I started to cry a little bit cause I was so excited <laughs> to get this yeah. spot, you know, cause it was like, I wanted it so bad for so long. And now here I am like getting the opportunity to like go out to race class, you know, go take it. 
And so I told, you know, the guys at the motorcycle shop and everything and a bunch and like a couple of people, a couple of my close uh, friends, family members and mentors all kind of pitched in a little bit because they know like, you know, it's expensive. And they helped me get a hotel. I drove out here. I had, you know, my truck. Thankfully, I have a nice, nice truck that can make it out here. Food and everything like that. So I was set up for four days. Drop the whole, the whole trip. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you just told all your friends, you're like, look, yeah. I have this opportunity and I'm taking it. Yeah, why? Well, and I was supposed to ride. I was supposed to meet a guy in Illinois, and we were gonna ride down together and go yeah. together. Yeah. And I had it was like, yeah, because it was only a couple of days before, and I had to, I had to message him or call him, and I told him it was my buddy Eric, and I'm like, Eric, I'm so sorry, man. I got this opportunity. He knows. I've told him about it. You know what I mean? Like I every like twice a year probably, I see Eric at a motorcycle event, and then maybe another two times a year, I go to his house and stay for the weekend, work on stuff with them, and just hang out with him and his yeah. wife Rachel. They're really great people. I, you know, and it's like a recharge weekend for me going out to their place. You know, because like you just chill in the garage, hang out. Yeah, you know, it's just great. fun. They're a good company, and so I had to apologize to him, and he was like, "No." go yeah like take this opportunity you know what i mean he's like it doesn't matter don't worry about it like yeah barbers will happen again next year go out there and do this you know and like i'm like all right man like i appreciate it like i'm sorry you know and i felt terrible about it but like it was just one of those things like i felt so compelled to do it's something i'd always wanted to do if i didn't take this opportunity it probably wouldn't come again in this same kind of way maybe i would have been able to figure it out i would have made it work i would have kept saving you know and like but it wouldn't happen this way. So I did the four day class with Ray. And during that time I became me and Mark became good buddies. Cause just, you know, work, you know, I, I showed up Thursday afternoon, the Friday before class. And now I've come to know that necessarily that isn't, they don't really always like that. Cause they're always, we're super busy up until the last minute of the day, finishing all the pro- shop projects and then completely disassembling the shop returning up putting away all the tools all the materials moving everything away and then and then setting up the class which consists of desks and tables for the students to work at work on making sure all the machines are clean easy accessible all the shrinking facilitators are out accessible hammers are out everything's put back where it needs to go which that's what maybe like six hours the night before we spend at least six hours probably cleaning and sweeping dusting some of the things don't really get used a lot when the class is in there we start Ray starts 9 a.m. He ends 10 30, 11 p.m. generally every night. And it feels like five minutes. Like by the time I'll be on there. Right now, there'll be like gentlemen working there during the day. They, a lot of them leave around 4 35 o'clock. There's a couple of us that stay late. We work till they work till 9 10 o'clock, 8 30, 9 10 o'clock, somewhere in there, depending on the day. And then they leave. And then I'm stuck. I stay there with Ray till he's done work and we'll work till midnight, 11 30 yeah. every night. And like the hard work doesn't start until the shop's empty and Ray can be out there just doing his thing. Cause he's during the day he orchestrates mm. and he works. He does a lot of work too. You yeah. know what I mean? But, but he's mainly making sure everything's yeah. in check and going in the yeah. right direction. Yeah. And you know, like they say, you have to inspect what you expect. Yeah. And very rarely is whatever you've done up to Ray's standards. It, it, <laughs> and, that, and like, and that, which is a very like the, the golden standard at the yeah. shop. And which is great because it pushes you harder and harder and harder every day. And say you meet that expectation and now he knows what you're capable of. He's going to push you a little harder. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's just always. Like you said before iron sharpens iron. And now we're, we're making, I don't know if Mark, did you talk about the palm trees on the podcast at all? 
that would that blew my mind when he told me they like basically like dropped everything as far as cars go and yeah. now they're just working on this giant palm tree structure for some so so we're building some comfort. 20 foot tall brass palm trees to go around pillars that are going to be inside of a nightclub and the encore casino hotel resort thing is it a casino no uh, i don't think it is yet i think they're gonna i don't know I don't. It's like that's street. amazing. So just something you would see when you walk through. Yeah, but it's on the it's on the Boston Harbor, and it's it's like the biggest. Uh, what the bay? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yep, and it's like the biggest building there. Like you know, it's like the giant casino or not casino. I'm sorry, a hotel resort kind of thing, and it's going to be a nightclub that's going to be inside of it. Mm-hmm. I forget what the name of the nightclub's going to be, but it's going to have these brass palm trees inside there, and so we have. Ray's figured out how he wants to design them, how he wants to make them, because he was approached by the company to develop basically these palm trees and asked if he was capable to do it. They're having a hard time finding somebody who could make brass palm trees. Yeah. And uh, and Ray was like, yeah, absolutely. And he he, he just made a prototype out of aluminum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, instantly. Seven minutes. And the guy, the guy just absolutely loved it. And so he got the contract to make these palm trees. During the week, it may be only me and Tim on the wheels wheeling out right now those bronze palm trees, and other guys are, or sorry, brass palm trees, not bronze. And the other guys are, you know, uh, a couple of guys are maybe welding, and other guys uh, rolling out the stems, and other guys on the machine. Yeah. Mark's running around managing the shop. Ray's orchestrating everything, you know, and and uh, it's really a well-oiled machine. I when I walked in last time, it, it I was really impressed by how by like how many people were there hustling and bustling, and like I was there for like. I walked in and Ray's like, are you ready to get to work? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And it instantly was tossed into the mix. But yeah, so anyways, I showed up Thursday. I got in the class for free. And I know that nothing in life is free. And so I showed up a day early and I said, I'm Mark, I'm here to sweep the floors. When I walked in and met everybody. And Mark didn't think I was serious. I was, did you? No, no, not at all. Because uh, that's my j- like. I always you saw you yeah. see what Ray does. Oh yeah, runs me through the ringer that. Uh, oh yeah, the night before class. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so uh, I was like, no. I, he put a broom in my hand jokingly, and what did I do? Oh, you just went, went to work. Oh. <laughs> moved all the machines, all the welders, all the shelves and tables, and I got. I, I mean, I sweep that. I was dripping sweat. My shirt was sho- soaked. I was like, because I want. I want to prove. I want to earn my keep. And if I'm getting this opportunity to come out here and take this spot that Ray's been holding on to, I'm going to prove that I'm worthy of this spot and I'm not going to waste your time. So did you go in and on Thursday and say that you were Mark? No, I, I didn't. Oh, okay. I thought you said I you met Mark. Mark. And I I'm met Mark. Sleep, sweep the floors. No, I no, no. Okay. I told I, I told Mark I'm here to sweep the floors. Oh, okay. All right. Because okay. I you hear Mark a lot in the videos. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly okay. yelling. And yeah, so. Mark. Mark did this wrong. You know. So anyway, so I so I, I knew Ray from the videos. I knew yeah. Mark from the videos. Yeah. And then uh, what? Me and Mark became buddies the when that first day we were because he gave me the shop tour because Ray was busy, and um, and you know we just hit it off. You know, just similar interests, you know, just, you know, Mark's a good guy, you know, we just hit it off. It was fun. And uh, and I was like, no, I'm here to sweep. I'm here to help. I'm here to do whatever you need to, to be done before this class, like put me to work. And so I think I got there like four o'clock or five o'clock or something. And I ended up leaving like 1130. And after we had the whole entire class set up, which was awesome because I already had a little bit of an edge on all the other students because I knew where the tape measures were. I knew where yeah. the levels were and the yeah, squares okay. and the drill bits and everything. It already feels like I'm at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I yeah. moved, cleaned, and 
help reassemble the entire classroom yeah, shop. They're like, where's this? So you're like, oh, oh, right over here. They're yeah. Like what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was kind of like helping everybody out because like her boss. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, so I showed back up Friday class went great. I, and then, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I just kept putting in the effort and Monday Ray was like, do you want to stay? And I was like, I, I would love to. Cause I, I told Mark that I'd like, I loved it there. I didn't want to leave because we were just talking about it. And he's like, he's agreeing. Yeah, this place is great. It's like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like, there's nowhere else I want to be than in Ray's shop. Cause he has everything. He has all the tools, all the machines, all the materials, the knowledge, the inspiration that you get just from being in there. And then the projects that you're working on. So anyways, I stay for two more weeks and I'm going to sleep in my car or in my truck at the time. <laughs> Because and, and it was cold and you know I brought sleeping bags and blankets but there was no other option I needed I was gonna sleep in my car for the next two weeks or for and we didn't know it was gonna be two weeks he just asked if I wanted to stay it was an open ended thing and I wanted to stay yeah. so I was gonna sleep in my car so you just keep staying yeah well the first night that I'm gonna sleep in my truck it's only an extended cab truck I'm a taller guy so it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be comfortable but it didn't matter I was gonna make it happen Ray come outside as I'm setting up my bed and the after I fold up my seat and I'm rolling my blankets out in the back of the truck, Ray comes up and he looks in the truck and he looks at me and he goes, are you going to sleep in here? And I said, oh yeah. He's like, can you fit in there? And I said, no, I'll, it's, I'll, I will fit. You know, I'm going to make it happen. And he goes, well, you know, I got a couch in the office. And I was like, yeah. So, oh. so now I call the office my vacation condo because that's the only, that's like my favorite place to go. And so I spent the first two weeks sleeping on the couch taking baby shower baths which is fine because when i was in the marine corps in uh, my first deployment to iraq especially uh, we didn't have showers there was nothing like that the only way that you were cleaning yourself was with baby wipes so i can probably get cleaner with baby wipes than i can in a shower of 20 minutes with all the soaps and loofahs and anything you can get just through that experience i've had before yeah and i know what it's like to struggle sleeping on the couch to me i might as well be at the marriott yeah staying at the shop i mean yeah, that's the thing about going to the military that amazes me everyone that comes out of the military has no icks like yeah. whatsoever and they just do you get put into a lot it's of incredible. situations that push you yeah. to the absolute limit uh physically mentally and so if it's something like sleeping at ray's shop and taking baby shower baths and brushing my teeth in the sink and that's what i'm gonna do yeah to be here. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I would, I would have slept in my truck outside. I thought about bringing a tent, but it was like, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty cold over here in uh, October, November, you know? Yeah. So anyways, I stayed for the two weeks and then Ray was like, can you possibly stay longer? At the time I had responsibilities at home, so I couldn't necessarily extend my period. My parents were watching my dog. I have a house. I'm in the middle of remodeling that I bought, you know, uh, that was in complete yeah. disrepair and uninhabited. And like, I've been remodeling it myself and then it's not because it's on a nice sized piece of land that i want to build a barn behind to have my own shop oh nice yeah. i was like ray i can't stay any longer this trip but i'll be back in a month or two yeah if 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 i could come back and volunteer in a month or two and he's like yeah he's like that would be great you know like we'll set it up or whatever at the time ray only had two two employees then right the the, the palm tree Palm Tree Project hasn't hadn't came yet and a no, couple that, of that other things recently. that was like a couple of months ago right and so Brian and Mark, I knew because I had stayed for the two weeks and, and, and only another guy stayed that long that was working on a different project and I was helping a little bit here and there. But through that time, I got to, I became friends with Brian 
and Mark, and Brian's the machinist fabricator, welder there that works for Rand, helps produce the English wheels and all the parts and the tools that they sell, the hammers and whatnot. And now that they're, they're delving into 3D printing, and Brian's really good at de designing, scanning, and, and making 3D prints. To get into 3D printing, I almost bought one like like two years ago when I was like 16 or 17, I think. The stuff he's making on the 3D printer is crazy. It's like any kind, we uh, made like presses to stamp things out of sheet metal. He makes spacers. Out of, what did you 3D print the press with? Plastic. Uh, uh, you press metal, you, you punch metal with plastic? Doesn't necessarily punch it, but you can take a thin piece of sheet metal and put it in a press with it sandwiched in between, and it creates the design in it. Oh, okay, so you're making a die. Yeah, yeah, exactly, a die. Yep. Yep. He's, he's making a, a die. die. Yeah. Yeah. And then so they're punching essentially what could be keychains that are the design, the like uh, oh, okay. Pro Shaper's logo and stuff like that, and shapes. Yeah. And that uh, uh, works on machines like that. Oh, right on. Yeah, that he has a he has a company, JM Engineering. He installs. Um, is it OSHA? Yeah, OSHA. Yeah, he OSHA certified safety equipment yeah, on yep. giant press breaks. Oh, right on. Yeah, the emergency stops. With two hands. Yeah. Yeah, the light curtains. Yeah. So when you reach in, it stops. Right. No, and that's like some of those machines, like in a lot of the fab shops that I've been in are the old school type, old methods. And so, yeah, we have to be very careful with the machines that we have yeah. because they don't have a lot of those stop and things on them. specializes in. Right. He works with the old machines. And oh, and out oh, retrofits them? To get that equipment on there, yeah. Yeah, which is a good thing to have yeah. because a lot of accidents, I haven't personally seen a lot of accidents, but you hear stories about accidents happening. Yeah, oh, knock on wood. So many. Every factory he goes to, he's like, yep, I saw some guy with no fingers today. Yeah, oh, that's the thing. Uh, it seems like yeah, a lot of the big shops you go to, there's like a guy that goes by the nickname Nubs. My it's dad had a friend like that too. It's uh, I want to say it's five finger Freddy, but I mean you have five fingers. Um, or you have ten fingers. Well, maybe he doesn't have five fingers. I don't know. But... Yeah, but you know, you know what I'm saying. It's uh, when you're working with presses, brakes, yeah. saws, anything. You know, even just handling the sheet metal itself is inherently dangerous. Oh, drilling. I, yeah. I learned that with uh, using a drill press in the basement. Drill press can be very dangerous if your work gets away from you. Mm. You know, now you just basically have like. A metal tornado spinning around, or whatever you know the material is hit by it. It is not yeah. fun. Just drilling like little things, making like little projects and shit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely requires a level of attention and safety. You know, just oh yeah, and knowledge of the machine too, because yeah. it can be da inherently dangerous playing with all these big tools. Yeah, that's yeah. where like the attention to detail really comes in handy because like when you say you're like drilling halfway through a a piece of like quarter inch thick aluminum or even or, well yeah aluminum it'll yeah. bite yeah if you don't if you don't feel the bite and pull your hand away your wrist will get snapped oh yeah yeah i try to like um either use a like a vice uh that's bolted to the drill press and or like a clamp or something to attach my material I started doing. to the handle yeah because yeah. it's you can't one you yeah. can't risk that it's scary if you break your if you're you know you damage your hands you can't use them yeah no, and yeah. the whole point of being in there is to use your hands You'd have to relearn, and you know mm -hmm. there'd be an adjustment period, I'm sure, and you know you could lose potentially lose capabilities, lose your life. You know, like yeah. I've had a bunch of buddies that have got hurt here or there, working in a machine shop or a fab shop or an automotive shop just because you know, like just one simple mistake or even something that's completely out of your control. Oh yeah, like the machine could just if it doesn't have a safety stop yeah. on it, you know, and it has metal in it, it could throw it out at you. Yeah, well, I had a buddy uh that was using a cutoff wheel 
on like an angle grinder and it let loose oh. and like severely sliced his arm open and he had to have oh, like man. i mean multiple stitches on like a gash that had to have been like six eight inches long you know and pretty deep too and it's like and that just happens that you know just one oh. one one accident happens and you're you know you're always an inch away from getting injured working on with those tools this is why i hate having the classes sometimes and seeing people with cut off wheels because i'll see a piece break off and then they're still cutting with that wheel it's like guy that is going to break off in your face and we are just at so yeah yeah, yeah. that's where you definitely got to step in and say hey oh yeah we got more we got new wheels or oh, you'll hear ray across the door whoa, 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 whoa. it's like oh yeah that's the interesting thing when you start um when you start surrounding yourself with like mechanically inclined people, one of the things I noticed is in, in the beginning, it really pissed me off because I didn't understand any of it. Right. You'll, you'll be driving in a car and then they'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa what was that noise? Or like go yeah. cutting something or working on something and be like, oh, stop. And you'll have no clue why, or you won't hear the noise. And it's like when you work with machinery and equipment, you you just like you understand and recognize the rhythm and then when it goes off it's just like i don't know how to explain it it's like you you get that that sense of like understanding oh yeah it's interesting yeah exactly you're like and then and then you'll have your friends hey do you mind ride with me to see if you can identify this noise in my car or i'm having this problem i've had doing the same thing happen to me yeah. like i'll be in the car driving and i'll turn down the radio and then my friends are like what are you doing and i'm like you don't hear that yeah it's yeah like i think my ball joint's going out yeah <laughs> how do you like... know the sound and the feel yeah you know yeah just becomes like a part of you subconsciously in your everyday life it gets annoying sometimes though it really does yeah you like overanalyze everything exactly which is very fortunate thing that i do do that because on my trip to the shop this time i always check my oil on my truck oh Thankfully, and it's a brand new truck. I have a bad habit of not doing that. And I checked my oil when I was on my way out here, and it was a little low. So I topped it off. And then I got here, and I checked my oil again, and there was nothing on the dipstick. <laughs> it, had, it had sat overnight. I didn't know exactly why. I was, I'm was, i not necessarily in the class now, but I'm working now for Ray, working with Ray and with all these other guys in the team. So I had there was you know projects coming up, deadlines coming up, and I got asked to come out to work. And so I don't necessarily have the time that I want to put towards looking in and trying to identify my truck me and mark went out there threw a tarp under it jacked it up looked around a little bit could tell there was a massive oil leak underneath the engine somewhere but it's covered by all the windage trays and cut the pans yeah, and everything the tray so it's coming yeah. off the spot of the drip tray you don't know the spot where it's actually coming off right normally if i was home i would t dive into it and figure out myself but it's a brand new truck with a warranty and so i called yeah. the dealership yeah. and i was like uh you know i'm having an oil leak there's no oil on my dipstick it's still under warranty. They're like, all right, well, we'll get a tow truck. We'll get it here. We'll check it out. Tow truck came, brought it in. And the guy's like, the oil filter came apart at the seam, like a freak accident. All of the oil, 80% of the oil, oil yeah, just around it. Yeah. Like, and I, and now, and I had my oil changes last in November. It's, uh, just turned March, you know, and, and I hadn't gone over the prescribed miles for the oil change, you know. Uh, it just there's some there's just a filter like a random uh, accident in like quality control I guess like are we getting through the yeah you got your oil changed by the dealership yeah well I've changed I changed oil myself yeah before oh, but yeah yeah I I changed at the dealership a couple times when I had the free oil changes but I started changing myself I always yeah. change oil myself yeah me too and uh yeah just some for some reason the seam where the filter housing meets like the body the seam just came just 
un- just loosened up enough where all the where it was allowing it to drip out at such a rate that it essentially overnight drained my whole engine of oil. And so I had it towed there. They figured out what it was right away. I kind of felt silly because I probably could have figured it out myself if I would have put more time and effort into it. But it was that that um, opportunity cost of working on my truck takes away from time in the shop. I'm only here yeah. probably for a couple weeks at a time. Truck's under warranty. They'll, they'll figure it out. They're, I trust yeah. the mechanics. I got recommended for this one specific Ford dealership out here. Had it sent there. They treated me great. They figured it out. They cleaned the truck. They changed the oil, checked everything. Truck's fine. Went and picked it up. Truck's had no problem. I just drove an hour here today to come see you guys do the podcast, you know, and everything's great. So I'm, I got no no worries about it. Just my attention to detail and just valuing my machines, always checking the oil, whether it's a tool or a truck, yeah. something like that, the the maintenance of it uh, and things like that. I would have, I probably possibly could have yeah, blown would've, the motor. Yeah. You know, like spun a rod bearing or something. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been no good. Mm-mm. And so got that taken care of. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just out here now probably for two or three weeks. Yeah. Working on the palm trees so, and other projects. I find it amazing how you went from being in Michigan, like just doing your own thing to seeing Pro Shaper's YouTube channel. And then just one day spontaneously going to work there. Essentially. And then they, they basically just took you in. It was just like the perfect fit. So now you're friends with them, and then through them, you're here. Yeah. So it's just incredible to me how technology just connects all of yes. us across yeah, the I, board. I wouldn't know about it's it amazing. otherwise. And that's that's why I started this podcast, because I knew that this would be happening. Like, like when I was younger, I would always, like I said before, I want to learn how things work. And when I learned how the internet worked and how it just connects everyone, it just blew my mind, like. That's why I'm here today, and it sh- it just shows that it just works. It's amazing. Yeah, and that's how I met the Tackets through the internet on the KZ Rice forum. That's how I got in at the motorcycle shop. That's how I met awesome. my buddy that was the machinist. You know, um, I met Pops, my mentor in welding, through more traditional standards to other people. But uh, yeah, without the internet, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be hanging out with Mark. I would have never saw Ray giving away that class. I would have never had my friends be able to email them, you know, just so on and so forth. And without technology, yeah, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. Yeah. It's crazy. Incredible. Yeah. So my second trip out, Ray, I asked Ray if I could come after I ended off my first trip. I asked Ray if I could come back and volunteer again, be a volunteer uh, slash like apprentice under him in English wheeling and just fabrication in general. And he, he was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have you back, you know, kind of situation. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I got along with everybody. I'm sure Mark Mark and I wanted me back. Mark and Brian were actually had a wager. I can't remember who was betting on me to come back, <laughs> but one of them was betting on me and one of them was betting against if I was going to return again because they had heard it so many times before and yeah. people never showed back up. And so I kept in touch with them on Instagram, messaging a little bit just because they're both Instagrammers and it was easier that way to get a hold of them. Hey, I'm coming back out. Like, oh yeah, bud, sounds good. See you when you get here kind of thing. Like, you know, and then what, I think I reached out to Mark. I was like, Hey Mark, when, when do you think it would be a good time? You kind of told me what was going on. I got a hold of Ray. I said, Hey Ray, you know, like I'd like to come back out in January. My birthday's coming up. There's nowhere else I'd rather be than spending my birthday at Pro Shaper working under Ray Shaleen. Yeah. And so, which I didn't really say all that, but that's what my, I told Mark that he was my birthday, you know, and like, my friends and family are kind of like, hey, your birthday's coming up. What are we going to go do? And I said, I'm sorry, 
I'm going to Pro Shaper. I don't know what you guys are going to do. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, that's where I want to be. So I went out there for my birthday again, spent another like 17 days out there working 10, 12, 14 hour days, sleeping on the couch, waking up the next day, doing it all over again, seven days a week. And then after that, I said, I'd really like to come back again. February rolls around because I was out there in January and I was thinking I'll come back in March take like a month off, do things back at home, get things in line, go back out. And I was just randomly talking to Mark, Brian, Ray, you know, maybe messaging back and forth, texting or something like that. And Ray texted me, when are you planning? When do you think you're planning on, you want to come back out? And I was like, well, I was thinking in like uh, March or April, you know, maybe middle of March, because I had some things going back on. And I knew that we were already working on the brass palm tree project because I, let me go back. When, when I, when I got there my second time, the first thing Ray asked me is, do you want to work? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm here to volunteer. I want to work. He's like, well, I got a job. I can, you can be like a part-time employee, part-time apprentice and student. And I was like, absolutely. When I work on like the job, the brass palm tree job and the other jobs associated with that company that's hiring us for that nightclub, I'm an employee. Other times working on my own stuff, working on other random projects, helping people out. I'm an apprentice, which is great. Cause that's, I didn't plan on working here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, it's a dream come true. And, uh, so I'm saving all the money that I make here to buy one of Ray's English wheels to take back at home with me. So all the work that I put in is only going really is going towards this wheel, which is like the perfect thing because I have a Harbor Freight wheel. They're all right. Ray's wheels are handmade primarily by him and Brian. And when I start, I've got the plans for the frame to the wheel Ray gave me and all the plans for the feet and everything, which you can buy on his website, proshaper.com. Ray's wheels... And now I have I don't have a vast experience on wheels, but I've, I'm pro- I probably spent six weeks or so at the shop by now, and we've had a lot of people come in that have touched a lot of wheels, have been to other people's classes around the country, and things like that. And like everybody says that Ray's big wheel is probably one of the best wheels that they've that were not is not one of it is the best wheel that they've ever used. And there's just something about it. It doesn't bite. It leaves a beautiful finish. It's not too aggressive, so you don't let it, the, the, your part doesn't get away from you when you start shaping it. Like maybe you might do on another wheel, you know, or especially on like a like, like a cheaper wheel. You know what I mean? It just I don't. It's hard to explain yeah. the feeling that you get on this wheel. Yeah. It's yeah. it's huge. I definitely want to try that one day. You guys make it sound interesting. Oh, it's great. It's a lot of fun. You're yeah. taking something that's essentially a raw material, a sheet of aluminum sheet of steel plotting out figuring out how much you need to develop surface area to develop this part yeah and it's it's like it's a it's more than an art it's a labor of love it's a passion yeah, it's, it's like glass oh yeah i mean i have put easily 10 years of like focus on just fabricating and metal shaping and stuff like that and i'm still i, I you know so much to learn yeah there's but, still many steps above that you could go and improve it almost feels like levels yeah when i was here last time i told mark i was like i I think i've leveled up i thought i was a pretty good welder i showed up here i realized i didn't know anything about welding you know i didn't know anything about anything even though i i'll you know back home i'm doing pretty good you know everyone's like hey you're doing pretty good you know we're winning some shows on our bikes that we're building we're getting invited to bigger shows you know things like that. I'm working on other projects on the side, you know, and I'm not a hundred percent consistent at this point just because of life, other things that are going on. Yeah, I struggle with consistency too. Yeah. Situations, you know, like moving, 
waiting to build my other shop, not having a place to work for a little while. So working at other people's shops, things like that, you know, just, just the, the path that I'm on, the trajectory, you know what I mean? And now I have the house that I got now. I'm trying to remodel that to build my own shop. So I have a place to stay. But in the meantime, I'm going to be working out of a another building that a friend owns that I'm going to be working out a part of it, you know, and like renting out essentially from him to have my tools, machines and my projects and everything. So I have a place at home to work when I'm not here. It's been going great right now. Ray's teaching another class and I always try to get out here before the beginning of the month or at the beginning of the month because I like to be here when the classes are on because you learn a lot just through listening to Ray talk to the kids or not the kids they're not kids they're adults listening to Ray talk talk to the students talking to them networking with them becoming friends with them you know like they can teach me things I can teach them things uh, we can you know progress together in a sense you know and it's a lot of fun just being able to be in here to help set up the shop and everything and then after the class is over, we get back to work as usual. We set the we shut the shop back up for production, which in this case is the brass palm trees. It's there's nothing better. Yeah, it's like it's like you you went from the YouTube videos to it's insane doing it. I pulled it up. It's amazing. And he was outside the first time, spraying something off of the hose. I'm like, holy shit, that's Ray. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, and you know it's like kind of like a, I got out of my truck and I go up and introduce myself, and then now it's like. I'm getting called up to come back out to the shop to help. And like, you know, I'm then it's just, I don't know. Uh, the feeling is inexplainable, I guess. It's just yeah. like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm floating. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm floating at the shop. Like, uh, I mean, 12 hours, 13, 14 hours goes by. It feels like five minutes. I don't want to go to sleep because I don't want to quit working, but I want to go to sleep because I want to wake up immediately tomorrow to get straight back to work. And all I want to do is work. I don't like, I had some ups and downs, post-military transition, things like that. Depression, anxiety, you know, everything that goes along with like two deployments to Iraq back to back as an infantryman. And then everything else in life, the transition, all that. Right. And, uh, I wasted a lot of time. I don't want to say wasted. I had a lot of things to work and figure through and stuff like that. And, being out here is therapeutic. My mind is completely focused on my work. And it's uh, and Ray is very accommodating, as Mark will tell you. Uh, he knows I was having trouble. I couldn't get sleep at the hotels. Couldn't Didn't feel comfortable at the hotel. You'd hear noises. I'd be up all night. You know, he said, I'm going to sleep out in my truck because, of, you know, things. He lets me sleep in the shop. You know, he's like very accommodating to have me there. To, that way I can get the sleep I need. I can get the rest I need and stuff like that. I got a place to go. Like if I need to take time off for whatever reason to like just relax or go chill out or like maybe I've got myself down, maybe an anniversary or something's come up or, you know, like a thought about a buddy or something's happened, you know, came across and kind of brought me down. It's like, he knows he's not going to, he doesn't push, you know, he's not like going to push anybody or anything like that, you know, cause he knows you got to be in the right mindset to put out the best work that you can in a sense, yeah. you know, and, and like, I'm working hard, you know what I mean? I'm working long hours. I don't know how he sustains it the way that he does. I guess it's just repetition over years and years and years of working that hard. I don't know. Just sometimes you need a break to sit down for a minute. And kind of like relax, uh, refocus, maybe, uh, you know, maybe in this situation, some situations like grieve a little bit or something, whatever you got to do, you know, then get back to work. Just take your mind off of it and then try to build something productive and beautiful. Yeah, that's what I've been trying to do recently with, with just getting back to work because I, I kind of struggle with that. I'll go work somewhere like part time and then I will just get so frustrated with how the environment is and it's like. I feel like everywhere you work today, no matter how hard you work, 
like you're still going to get your boss coming up to you and just giving you an attitude and not appreciating you as a worker. I've, I've kind of just like, I've kind of given up with, with going to work, but I know it's not a good thing for me. So that's why I'm trying to just like build as many things as I can, like working on this podcast with Mark and working on websites and learning how the internet works and stuff like that. I'm just trying to get back into like the, the groove. Yeah. You know? Well, no, I like it. You're like, and that's how I feel too, in a sense, right? Like maybe not necessarily that like the jobs weren't good, but they weren't the right fit for me. I wasn't the right fit for the job, but you have to make money. You have to pay bills. Life goes on. So you wind up in situations that maybe aren't the best for you, environments that aren't the best, maybe toxic. Yeah. But then you find a place, if you're lucky, like Pro Shaper. Yeah. It feels like you're on vacation. Yeah, that's what I'm still waiting for. It's like I want to find the place where I feel home and I wake up and I want to do. I, I just want to go to work. Yeah. I, not, it's not even going to be considered work. It's just going to be, it's going to be like, Back when I was like building my electric skateboard and like I would get up and just immediately go work work on it, you know, it's like, it's like, it doesn't feel like work. You're just, you're just flowing. Yeah. And like, uh, I know exactly what you mean, like working on your own projects and you just can't, you're like thinking about it at night. How could I do this? I got this problem. I need to figure it out. And it consumes you. Like, I feel like I have a very mechanical brain. And so I'm always just constantly thinking about different mechanical um problems or just projects things i want to do yeah. i mean even like shaping metal in a sense is mechanical you know so there's a lot of ways to do it hammer english wheel mill lathe chisels torches whatever you want you know what i mean like yeah it's and, so it's like i don't know i just really love the problem solving aspect yeah. and, and creating something yeah it's just it's a lot more difficult to create something on the internet for me i feel because i i am mechanically inclined and it's difficult to get myself to sit at a computer without any like moving parts. Yeah, I could see that. If I was fixing something, like I would just be, I'm, I'm, if like when I'm fixing things and working on things with my hands, I'm like so involved and I just, everything else around me just disappears. Right. But with this, it doesn't. So it's like so difficult to just focus some days. Yeah. Get everything done. I know what but, you mean. But it's also kind of, a journey like engineering too and fixing things because you're you're learning so much it's just not a it's not as much as a physical learning and a seeing learning it's more of like an understanding yeah but the, a lot of the same principles of problem solving still apply yeah you know but yeah. you're just finding different solutions with different means and different tools and i i think it's awesome i like what you guys are doing here with the podcast and like i love when mark's always like excited about a new idea you guys are talking to you know and it's great talking to mark he's very upbeat guy when it comes to innovating ideas and things like that and like a good like friend that supports you and pushes you and says yeah go do it you know what i mean like that's what you want to do follow your dreams and that's why we clicked because it was just like everyone i would talk to about any idea or project or new thing that's that's coming out that's going to be exciting all of my friends and family members it's just like none of them have a a real interest in that right i know exactly what you're saying find someone who is just excited about everything and how it works and and fascinated by it it's, it's a different it's a different journey oh yeah he's like uh i don't know it's just like i love it love mark mark's a great guy Hell and yeah. uh i love like hey mark i'm thinking about doing this or what do you yeah. think about this and he provides good yeah, I mean, like i don't think i know another person who i can just text at any time of day and be like hey what do you think about this and you and, and you could just text me back a whole paragraph yeah or, story about what it is and it's just incredible well not only that walking encyclopedia and he's not it's like um 
It's not like he's like a cheerleader. It's like he's going to give you good constructive criticism, play oh, yeah. the devil's advocate, anything that he can to like yeah. try to like make you think harder and more about this project and give you ideas, things you could think about or anything, you yeah. know, to help. But he's always there to like push it forward. Never, that's a waste of time. Never, this is stupid. You know, nothing like that. It's always like, hey, that's a good idea. You want to do it? This is what, what I think about it. And maybe some things that you can look into. Yeah. I'm like, hey, that's and a good idea. Yeah, I can bounce off ideas off you any day. And it's just like, it's not, you just come up with a solution to them. You you have, you take action on yeah. the, for other people's other people's things and that's what's amazing it's like you've achieved greatness you not only do it for yourself but you do it for other people so oh it's I, a lot of fun I don't, I don't. it's great at the shop too mark's running around doing what mark does at the shop which is everything just about and uh, you can look mark can you give me a hand for a second and he'll just drop what he's doing help you out because he knows what i'm doing is a big picture in the part of the process you know what i mean and if i'm asking mark for a hand if anybody's asking mark for a hand they need a hand you know and, and it's and it's just like because we're all just like this we're all like cogs in this machine you know what i mean what type of mindset were you in kind of around my age like 18 19 transitioning from high school like end of high school to to college and like figuring out what you want to do with your life uh, I had no idea. No guidance, no anything. I didn't really know what to do after high school. I still worked at the movie theater. I worked at the movie theater the whole time I was in high school. I worked there for like three or four years and I was working too at a concrete foundry in town that my grandpa used to own for the new owner because I had pretty much grown up there. So I knew what was going on. So I'd help pour different concrete casts and we build uh septic tanks, dry wells, concrete parking bumpers, and like little Jersey barrier type deals and a casket um vaults yes i did i was doing that and then uh i was kind of a slacker in a sense and like kind of like didn't really care wanted to hang out with my friends and party ride my buddy work on cars just not be responsible and so eventually i got asked or not asked but we came to a mutual agreement that i wasn't going to return to work at the concrete place that my grandfather used to own under the new ownership after i'd worked there for like a year or two and then so I still worked at the movie theater, and I always loved the military, you know, watching it and stuff, and watching the Saber Private Ryan and Jarhead and Full Metal Jacket. I wanted to join the military, seeing the Marine recruiter come to school one day after I thought I wanted to join the Army for like 10 years, you know, growing up. The Marine recruiter come in, looks, you know, super slick in his dress blues, and like they got the pull-up bar and a keychain, and the guy's like, you know, uh, you, you walk, you're just walking by, and he's, like, catcalling you, basically. Like, come over here and hit the pull-up bar or something, you know? And so you're like, yeah, like, I'm already thinking about joining the Army. Like, why would you want to do that? You know, like, <laughs> when you can join the Marine Corps, oh, you know? And you're like... I thought he was going to start questioning you immediately. Yeah, and you're like, so, like, uh, what's the Marine Corps? You know what I mean? He's like, America's premier fighting force, you know, or something like that, you know? Like, and you're, like, getting fired up as, like, a 17, 19-year-old yeah. or something, you know? yeah. So I always thought about joining the Marine Corps because then you see the Marine recruiters come in and we were just like hockey young guys. So we would come up to him and just talk, you know, just like talk with them and try to get them riled up and do pull-ups and stuff and try to yeah. get like, because if you could do 10 pull-ups, you could get like a keychain lanyard or something, we'll say, or a t-shirt maybe, right? Yeah. One day the Marine, the recruiter called me because I had like kind of filled out the stuff, you know? And it was like, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, oh, not really. I just got fired from the concrete foundry. We're not really fired, but like I said, we decided that like, it wasn't a good fit for either of us anymore. 
I didn't like how the guy was doing things and he didn't really like how I was doing things. And I thought I knew everything because I worked there for a couple of years and I was a younger guy and he wanted to change the system and we just didn't come to the agreement. And I so with that too, when I work somewhere, I like to learn everything about it. And then I want to, I think about it in my own way. And then I try and do that. And then you get in trouble with like the boss or whatever. Oh yeah. 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 He didn't particularly, we didn't see eye to eye. So it was like, all right, well fine. Like I'm done. Then he's like, all right, well, if you're done, don't come back. And it's like, all right, well, I'll see you later. I get coming my last check and I'm out of here kind of thing. Not like very argumentative or mad, just kind of like yeah. frustrated. Yeah. And so I left and I was working at the theater, didn't know what to do, had no direction, was just partying with my friends on the weekends and stuff, you know, basically working all week at the theater and stuff just to pay to party on the weekends, you know, because like you're making like $7.15 an hour or something like that, you know, working like 15 or 20 hours a week. So it's not like you're making a whole lot of money. Plus, I had to pay for gas and my own car insurance and my cell phone bill and stuff, you know, so like, and like, which weren't terribly expensive at the time. I think my, but like, it was still a couple hundred bucks that I'd have to pay every month. I don't know. The Marine Corps recruiter called me. Just come in and talk to me. All right. Been thinking about this for years, you know, like, let's do it. So I went and talked to him and then I was like, told him I wanted to join the infantry. And he was like, uh, well, how about you, you know, take this exam, right? The ASVAB, the pre-ASVAB, right? To see how high you can score on it. We'll talk about what kind of jobs you can get. So I take it and I do like me mediocre. He's like, oh, well, you could be, you know, a truck driver or Intel or, you know, this or, you know, artillery or all this other stuff, you know? And I'm like, no, you know, like I really want to be infantry. Like if I come in, that's all I want to do, you know, like I watch all these infantry movies and like, that's what I want to do. And uh, he's like, all right, well, all the infantry spots are filled. We don't have a spot right now, but if you wanted to leave, you could do this other job, you know? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to wait. Call me when there's a spot open, basically. And he's like, well, there's this thing called the delayed entry program. You can join it with your name, like on a list for infantry. And when it opens up, you can have it. But until then, every Thursday night at 7, we all meet at the recruiting station in Kalamazoo, which was like a city away, the big city that like a, like a big hub for a little smaller towns around it. He's like... uh and we do training to prepare you for the Marine Corps. We run and do push-ups and teach you knowledge and how to drill. That way, when you show up, you're not like a brand new fresh guy. You've got some experience. And so all these recruiters have been in Marines for at least like four or eight years or more. So they know them, you know, lands out of the Marine Corps and whatever their job is in the Marine Corps pretty well. Mm. And they're like, you know, just kind of teach you the ropes. Anyways, finally, he's like. Yep, spot. We got a spot for you. They called it like a slot on the boat slot or something. I think is what they called it. And uh, you get a. He's like, yeah, we got a boat slot for you as an O three ship out in yeah May of two thousand and six. Once I joined the Marine Corps, it gave me a purpose, focus, taught me dedication, discipline, attention to detail. Like we've already discussed everything like that. I got the GI Bill, so let me go back to college. And I wasn't necessarily that interested in learning. Yeah. But when I started going back to college, I started to realize, like, hey, I'm actually learning some cool stuff. I'm taking classes I like. You know, I'm using my GI Bill. This is this isn't too bad. And then that's what got me into my first internship at the shop, motorcycle shop. And that's when, like, this dream that I had had that I was waiting for results to come to me started to happen because I had to go to them. Yeah. Waiting around, nothing was happening. Being a little proactive, being forced to be a little proactive by the school and take that internship changed the course of my life at that point because it allowed me to continue and pursue my dream, which was mechanics and metal shaping and building my own 
car eventually and like there's an open wheel car that i want to build you know that i've thought about since i was like a kid and that's what i'm still on this quest to build i'm just trying to get all the skills yeah right so like to, to, to build it right awesome. and nice and so yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to start on it here in like the next six months or so probably yeah and um but yeah I was, at your age, man, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. I had no idea. I do that. I wanted. I always wanted to serve my country, so I did for a little bit, and that benefited me by being able to go to college. I knew I'd have to have the GI Bill to go to college unless I wanted to get into debt, you know what I mean? And yeah, coming up from like really nothing and being poor, I was very scared of debt, you know, because I saw it like destroy households and communities and stuff, like just people living like below paycheck to paycheck and charging things or credit cards and getting out cars repoed and stuff or like evicted. And so I was like, I'm very afraid of debt. And so I knew if I was in the Marine Corps, I could pay ahead by the military and I joined the Marine Corps, but to pay ahead and get my schooling paid for, which then I got, you know, a couple of associate degrees with, which I got my business administration, like general uh, studies kind of uh, associates and then uh, general marketing associates because I wanted to start my own brand, start my own social media to promote my projects I was building, you know, and just a place to showcase my skills, which at the time were very low, but it was like a way for all my friends to see what I was doing. And it started with like the forums, you know, we would have like build threads and stuff. And then later MySpace, you know, and then Facebook and then Instagram, you know, so you're like, I wasn't really to show anybody else, but it's like to be like, Hey Mark, look what I built, you know, send you a picture of it. You know what I mean? Like, or my other buddies that are building, you know, stuff. They're like, oh, man, that's cool, you know. Or, like, if I was doing that, I might do this, you know. And now it's like my brand isn't anything in, like, its infancy. No one really knows about it. A couple hundred subscribers here or there between all the platforms. But I haven't put any effort, really, into sharing it yet or promoting it. I've been, like, waiting till I get my shop done, which I'm hoping to have done in a couple of months. So I have a place to film and a place to work and a place to put my tools because right now they're all like in storage and in in like, a, in like a, a cold storage barn, essentially, okay. which yeah, I can work out of in the summer, but it doesn't even really have power. And so it's, you know, can't power a welder or anything, you know, all these machines I have my mill and stuff. Before I came out here, the day before I came out here, I got it ready to have its electrical inspection done in the barn or in the shop. It's an annexed part of a shop. Like that's an actual like automotive shop. It's just a cold. It's just a. It hasn't been used in years, basically. So my buddy was like, hey, you get this back in shape, get power hooked back up. You can use it. Just pay the electricity and, you know, fix it up and we'll call that good. And I'm pretty good at fixing things up, you know, so I'm going to repaint it, LED lights, everything, you know. And oh, nice. It'll be pretty cool. I'll get my shop set up in there, start working on my projects where I'm going to start working on my open wheeled car. And you're hearing it here for the first time. I'm going to attempt to build the world's largest spoon. I've been talking about that for a very, 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 very long time. That is an awesome idea. Yeah. 65 feet is my goal. Right now, the current world's largest metal spoon is like 60.5 feet. Okay. The average size of a spoon is six and a half inches. So I'm going to do 10 times 65 foot spoon, which I'm going to shape on an English wheel with a hammer and dolly, TIG weld together. I'm going to build a body buck for it. I live in southwest Michigan, 20 or 30 minutes from Battle Creek, which has the headquarters for Post and Kellogg cereals. And so I'm going to try when it's done, get in the Guinness Book of World Records, and then see if I could, like, donate it to the city or one of them to display the world's largest spoon. And I just think it'd be funny, because cereal. Yep. You've got to be out there as Coffee Milk Pod. Yeah, it'd be cool. Uh, that is a perfect idea. Yeah, that's exclusive. That's exclusive that's first that's podcast yep. after the... If you just post about that... And- I haven't told anyone this, though, other than you guys. Well, all my friends know, people that know me in person know, but I've never said it on Facebook or nothing. Once you start building it, I would, yeah, just document document the process. You'll probably have traction, like, 
halfway through. Oh yeah. And you're building the world's largest. Oh yeah. I have a bunch. So I've been, I've been, I got this barn, right? It was built in the 1790s. It doesn't, it has enough power for one light, but in it, I have a bunch of motorcycles, frames, engines, suspensions, wheels, brakes, car, rear differential for my open wheeled cars. So when I open my, when I get this shop space open, I'm ready to rock and roll. I got my English wheel, metal brakes, you know, and then I've got plans that either I've been designing and or I've, I've bought a couple of plans off the internet to build like my own uh, finger brake, like a box and pan brake, so I can yeah. do a lot more folding, a belt sander I want to build myself. And I'm going to document all those builds on YouTube, give credit to either the people who I got the plans from and or my own plans. And if it works well, make my plans available to people. So other guys like me that can't necessarily don't have the means to go out and invest X amount of thousand dollars into a shop, they're on a real tight budget can say, I've got more time than I got money right now. And so I can make these tools. And I was inspired by Ray to do this. 70% of the machines there that he uses on a regular basis, he built or designed and built. I would say, is that, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, and and so it's like, that's really inspired me because it's like, I know how a lot of these machines work. I've used them. I can get pictures, dimensions, plans off the internet. I need them. Why not make them myself, document the experience, put it on my Instagram, put it on YouTube. I got the Facebook group already. I've got, it's a little group. It's like a page. Uh, I'm going to make it uh, more into like a public group Yeah. Uh, that more people can post on. Because right now it's set up like I just like a page. Like I post on it. There's like, used to be comments. You know, we discuss things in the comments and stuff, you know, but I haven't been as active on it lately as I should have been. Uh, it's called Scalded Dog Engineering Collective. We're... The, you know, like a collective of minds could hopefully one day all come together and like share knowledge himself. And I've been doing that for like seven or eight years, maybe. I don't know exactly how many members I have or followers, but it's not like huge, maybe 20,000 or something. I don't know. I, I can't remember. It's a look, That's but pretty good. I had one page. I got up like 50,000, 45,000 followers for a while. So I was just like Facebook. Yeah. When I was going through school for business and marketing, I had a couple Facebook pages. I started just to practice the techniques and stuff that I was using and learning in school and developing my own like knowledge and theories of how marketing and Facebook worked and social media work. So when I start back up posting my stuff, I've got a lot of time of experience, but I got burnt out and then had other stuff going on and, you know, things I was going through, I didn't have the time or energy to post in social media Mm -hmm. because it really does take a lot out of you. And it's it's a lot of work if you want to it's, it's like, you think about it, you're like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make three posts right now. And then you, you, you start making your first one and then you like you you want each post to be perfect because you start making it and then you realize, wait a minute, people are going to see this. Yeah. And I, this needs to look good because this is my brand. And if this post I have now is not better than my last one and I'm not providing more and more to people, they're not going to keep coming. No, yeah. It's like it's such a demand that you have to like keep up with once it works. Well, it's the thing that... And consistency is key. Yeah. You know, and I have been... The complete opposite of consistent on social media, except for like my personal page, but even on that in the last couple of years, just because burnout and life and just not being in a place where I wanted to be posting on the internet, you know, for some just not there, you know, but now, but I know it's crucial to what I'm doing if I want to generate any kind of income or following or not even, not, not necessarily even that, but just get my work out there. You know what I mean? Cause like, the whole point of doing something to this high of a quality is a to prove to myself I can do it, and a, something I'm like I can't describe why, but I'm strongly inspired to do. And also, like if it could generate income, it would be I- ideal because then it can fund itself. 
and allow me to do bigger projects, better projects, buy more materials, better tools. Yeah. And on my YouTube page, you know, I did like a segment called like Tool of the Week. I would like buy a tool and try it, you know, and try to explain the benefits of it versus maybe what I was using in my toolbox already, you know. And ideally, it'd be fun if, uh, you know, companies would reach out to me like, hey, would you like to demonstrate this tool? Would you like to talk about it, promote it, use it on your channel, you know, just have it in your shop, you know, would be awesome. I love buying tools. I love having tools because I like putting those tools to use. Oh, man. Not even nowadays. Like put a Milwaukee battery in a in a oh yes yeah. heater now if yeah well you can get like a 3d printed conversion almost for like yeah. a milwaukee to ryobi yeah or whatever yeah there's so like they have coming out came out with so many so many different tools yeah batteries now it's not just drills and my favorite thing is going to estate sales and garage sales and looking through your grandpa's tools after he has passed or something like that as sad as it is but that's where you get some like like the best quality yes. tools and you find like really interesting things you've never seen before. And like, I'd like, I like it because I'm now carrying on the legacy of this tool, you know, and I, and I respect them all. I clean them all. I, you know, like my tool collection is like some people's shoe or watch collection. You know what I mean? Like I clean them when I, when I'm done using them, I put them back in my toolbox. If I'm in Florida or Massachusetts and somebody calls me and says, Hey, you know, like, uh, can I borrow like this or something, you know, like whatever size tool or socket? I'm like, yep, this drawer, this spot, this is where it is in the shop. Yeah. It's just like, it's a very, it's a pride point, you know? And just, I really appreciate those tools because without them, my hands would almost be useless for what I'm trying to do. Cause I can't bend or shape metal with my bare hands, but I can with all this different assortment of tools and machines. Yeah. And you know, and it, like you said, it's a skill, something I have that takes dedication and years to even, start to be a novice at almost let alone like master it that's like a lifelong dedication and passion you know like there are definitely guys that pick up the skill easier or quicker than others and mine works different ways and stuff you know but 100 percent passion just that's all it is i'm there every day if at the end of this journey all i can do is sit in my shop and build cool cars and brass palm trees or anything out of sheet metal by shaping it by hand and making my own frames and stuff like that, and nobody knows who I am, I'll be ecstatic. If I can build something off of this, even better. Yeah. I'm not doing this for any reason other than for myself and to build these items. I want to spend the rest of my life in the shop working. Yeah. I don't, you know, because that time's going to go by no matter what I'm doing, and I want to be in there perfecting this craft, hopefully someday passing along this craft, creating a bunch of beautiful projects and building a legacy with my work. And so I'm, that's what I'm focused on now. Dude, this was absolutely awesome. Thanks for coming. I mean, we're grateful. You're our first interview, so this is going to be like the highlight. We got to get a picture of all three of us. I got to put that up. Oh, do you have any like final thoughts or anything? Well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me. I've enjoyed every episode. I've been listening since the beginning when Mark first told me about it. And I hope and I wish good things and successful things for you guys in this venture. Because I think you talk about a lot of cool, interesting things. I'm happy to be the first guest that you guys asked to be on here. And, uh, you know, I just want everyone to know, you know, that's listening that, like, this hasn't always been, like, an easy road. You know what I mean? There's, like, been a lot of struggle, a lot of personal struggle. But at the end of the day, I never lost sight of what my dream was, you know, and... I wouldn't have been able to have it if it wasn't for the friends and family that I had around me that supported me, that helped push me in directions that were positive 
and convinced me to keep going when I thought that I was done with this ride and I didn't want to go on and do anything else anymore because life just wasn't going my way. And I heard a quote that said, fishermen don't just sit around and wait for the fish to come to them. They go to the sea. And so, so if you, you know, so if you have a dream, just keep following it, keep pushing forward. It makes me a little emotional. I apologize, but it's just like, it's been a very hard fought path to get where I am today. And now a guy that's one of my idols calls me up and asks me to come out to help him because I've just, I've, I've never strayed. And I just want you guys to know that you can do the same. And, uh, I'd like to thank, you know, like the Tackets, everyone that comes to Shaker Pass Cycles, my buddy Larry and Matt, Pops, my parents and everybody, because, you know, without you guys, I wouldn't be here. The guys I was in the Marine Corps with, the guys from my platoon and my company, you know, and first time for the Marines, you know, for being there for me when I needed you, calling me when I wasn't talking to anybody else or let me call you guys. And, I, you know, I just want to say one more thanks to my buddy Hooker, because if it wasn't for the circumstances that we had reconnected in, and the things that happened, man, and the things that you told me, I wouldn't be here. So I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and one more thing, I'd like to thank my buddy Spencer. He's been my, one of my best friends since fifth grade, and he's been there through my mechanical and fabrication journey the whole way. He's also a gearhead, and, uh, you know, he's helped me with all the swap meets and projects and everything. So appreciate it, man. And I just want to tell all my friends and family, love you guys, and I appreciate everything. Thank you.